sometimes he wouldn't, but he would, he would do that as a, uh, to help them and teach them, right? But, you know, he'd be walking down the road and, you know, people start hollering at him and he'd go talk to them, you know. And sometimes he's walking and, and he'd stop or he'd go find people, right? And, and so he was, he was the great example of a servant. And, um, uh, you know, I think there's, there's, a, there's a, sometimes in the church we get uh, an attitude of, um, well, if, if I'm a servant, then they're just going to, you know, kind of use me up, right? They're going to take advantage of me. And I think the balance in that is, and I, in fact, I was talking to somebody the other day that they said they, got, they were in church and they, they're still going to the same church, but they got to a point where they would come to church and they would immediately do teach Sunday school. And then immediately after that, they would teach the children's church. And they did that for years. Uh, and so they were never in the service. And so they said they felt really disconnected from the church. Uh, and, and of course, since uh, because I was part of the helps ministry, you know, I got to see a lot of that. And my heart's desire as a pastor is to minimize that, right? And so, uh, so uh, in a, at different times of seasons, you know, we'll have more people in children's church or less people. Uh, but you know, as that grows or any other department of the ministry grows, you know, my heart's desire is not to have somebody that does that every service because then they're not in the church, you know, they're not, because they have to be fed, right? The sheep have to be fed. And, uh, uh, and you know, my feeding, the way that I get fed is I listen to uh, service messages, I mean, all the time, right? I've got a collection of thousands of them. And I go to Brother Randy services and I go to other services, you know, that uh, the Lord leads me to. And so I'm getting fed, you know, I, could, I count that as continuing education for me. And, uh, and it's not that I'm desperately starving or anything, uh, you know, the role of a, of a pastor is a little different than, than the sheep. But everybody, including the pastor, has to be fed. Amen. Uh, and if, if someone is never fed, see, I can't say that I'm never fed. I'm fed several times a year, plus uh, just directly, plus all of the uh, continuing education I do by listening to services all the time. And so um, in that, you know, I think part of it is people get afraid that, that I'm going to get I'm going to get in there and I'm never going to get out. Right. This is till death do us part. And, and it's really, it really shouldn't be that way, right? Um, and I understand, you know, in times and seasons, sometimes people have to, you know, uh, uh, do more maybe than, than they might do at other times. And, and you know, so that, that's fine. But uh, I think if, if everyone in the church can always remember that we're all servants of the Most High God, and um, just things have to be done. And, um, uh, and you know, in, in any given church, in any, you're always going to have a certain percentage that will never do anything. Uh, and you'll have a certain group of people that will do most of the work, and then you have some of the people that will do, you know, a lot of the work, right? So, you, and that's just, that's normal, right? That's, I mean, you know, when I was in the corporate world, you know, we'd say, hey, we need somebody to do this, and nobody would raise their hand, right? And so, finally, of course, in the corporate world, you're paying them, so you say, well, then you're going to do that, right? There was no volunteer work. It was all under conscription, right? They're going to do this. And so, uh, it's a little different in a volunteer situation, right? Uh, but in a volunteer situation, you get to express your uh, being a servant, you know, on a regular basis that way. So, uh, so I always encourage you, you know, look for opportunities. And, you know, uh, we're not a huge ministry, so there's not a lot of things that have to get done right now. But as a church grows, and of course, on occasion, we have things like, you know, work days to clean the church or whatever. And, you know, we did all the demo work in the church, you know, many of you were involved in that and uh, just things, right? And so, uh, I would encourage you always keep a, an attitude of, of being a servant. Uh, it's to your advantage because uh, it's all about sowing and reaping. Everything that we do in this life is is governed primarily by the law of sowing and reaping. And that doesn't just include uh, finances, right? That's really kind of the, one of the lowest ways. But if you think about, you know, even in your finances, really all sowing and reaping is essentially you're exchanging a portion of your life for the benefit of somebody else. So even if you give a dollar, that dollar was, was created by you spending a certain amount of time of your life to go do this thing. And so that time of your life was converted to money, but then you gave that money away. So really you're giving your life away. So really, uh, if you think about all, all of your giving, whether it's by time or your, your knowledge or your finances, you're really giving your life to the Lord. That's a, that's a way to express the Lord, I'm going to give my life to you. Uh, and so if you never give, if you never give either finances or your time or your, uh, your talents and abilities, then you're really not ever uh, getting to take advantage of the law of sowing and reaping. Amen. Uh, and so, uh, but, but um, like I said, you all do a great job, but uh, just 
you know, I hear a lot of those stories as a pastor where people have burned out in church. And, and I think the reason is that the pastor is not uh, as aware of, hey, these people need to be in the, in the service as much as they can, right? And like I said, sometimes, you know, I mean, there was a long time where Chris did all of the children's church, right? And she would be gone, you know, uh, three or four, you know, three Sundays out of the month, you know, sometimes four Sundays out of the month. Yeah, and, and it's not healthy, right? Um, uh, and so, um, but um, the Lord is good, amen? And, uh, you know, anytime that you have a church, uh, you have things to do, and, um, you know, there's just stuff, right? Just things to do, and that's just part of the deal, right? Uh, and, uh, of course, you, you know, uh, we're not going to go over there, but in Acts chapter 6, when they first defined the, uh, the deacons, the church had grown to a point where they needed more help, and things were not getting done, and so... Um, and, and that's fine, but then people started complaining. Well, you know, that's the New Testament, thousands of years, you know, after the children of Israel, people are still complaining, right? Uh, it's been 2,000 years since that story happened. You think people are still complaining in the church? People are still complaining in the church, right? And that's why Paul wrote the Philippians, murmur not, right? <laughs> and so any murmuring going on, uh, it, it, it happens, right? And so that's fine. Uh, well, let's, let's pray and we'll get into the word tonight then. So, Father, we thank you for the word of God. And we thank you for being a blessing to us, for being good to us. Father, we thank you for the strength of your word, the foundation of our faith. And, Lord, we thank you that as we open your word um, with sincere hearts, Father, that you'll grant unto us revelation, insight, and wisdom as the teacher and instructor of the church. And so, Father, we look forward to that. We look for you to grant that to us, Father. We need wisdom. We need understanding of your word. And so, Father, uh, we thank you that you will give that to us because we ask. And so we, we thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, praise God. Well, let's open up our Bibles to the book of Philippians. You know, one of the things in studying the Word of God, um, you know, nobody, of course, knows everything. And even if you knew everything, you know, after five seconds, there's more to learn, right? So the, the Word of God is alive. It's active. That means there's progressive revelation. That means whatever you know today that's not all there is to know. There's more to learn tomorrow. Uh, and so, um, but whenever I study the Word of God, I always go to the Word of God with kind of an attitude of, Lord, you're going to show me, you're going to teach me. And I ask him a lot of questions. Lord, why did you say this? Why did you do this? You know, why, what does this mean? Lord, I don't seem to understand this. It seems to be completely different than something else. You know, it seems to not fit. And a lot of people, um, like I had a conversation with uh, someone one time, they uh, you know, people oftentimes approach the Lord with an intellectual mindset that, well, I'm smart, I can read the Word of God, and obviously the Word of God is not perfect, and obviously there are inconsistencies and contradictions in the Word of God. That's a given, and people will start from that foundation, and it's, of course, that's a shaky foundation, it's a poor foundation because it's not true. There are no inconsistencies in the Word of God. There's no contradictions in the Word of God. There are just things that you don't understand that appear to you to be a contradiction, but they're not just because you, don't, you haven't studied the Word to, to figure that out. And, but I've had people just call me and say, oh, well, you know, I got, I got my, my ministerial license by mail. It's like, wow, that was really impressive. And um, they said, well, you know, the Word of God is full of, of in, inconsistencies, right, or contradictions. And and I know where they don't even correct people like that. It's, it's not worth the time and effort to do that. But I said, well, there's not a single one. And they didn't even bother to acknowledge that I said that, right? Because their, their assumption is, well, well, that can't be so. It's obviously so, right? This is a book, uh, one book made from 66 books by, you know, dozens of authors. Uh, and surely there are inconsistencies, and, and there's not any, right? And so there are things that we may not have full light on yet. So but you get, you got to... You've got to approach the Word of God as being, uh, from a standpoint, there are no errors in the Word of God. Um, and, uh, and if you don't do that, then it's really, how do you have faith in the Word of God if you think there are errors in the Word of God? How do you have faith in what the Word says if you don't believe that the word, what the Word says is so? Because if you say, well, it's, that's not so. Uh, and, of course, much of the church, you know, and I'm not even talking about the intellectual church now. I'm just talking about much of the church, just in general, will look at a verse like healing. Well, God doesn't heal anymore. And they'll have all kinds of crazy reasons why. And, and so it's, it's just unusual, you know. Um, but, uh, but there are many uh, people who con consider them Bible scholars, professors, you know, uh, people who even translate the Bible, 
who oftentimes aren't even saved. They're not born again. They just happen to be uh, scholars of those languages and can translate it. But, you know, uh, the problem with, with somebody who's not born again translating the Bible, they'll never get it. They'll never get it right because all translations, you know, it's not a mechanical thing like this word in, in Greek always means this word in English. You have to look at the, the concept because, you know, every word could have nuances of what it actually means. And so picking the correct English word to match that correct Greek or Hebrew word uh, is an exercise in, in revelation, uh, understanding what the Lord's trying to say when he says that, right? And so, you know, you could take a look at uh, the word spirit, for example, in the New Testament. And the word spirit, there's only one word for spirit in the Greek. It's called pneuma. Uh, and in the King James translation, the translators would take that word, and uh, if, if it was said Holy Spirit, well, that's kind of obviously who it's talking about. It's talking about the Holy Spirit, right? So if it's the Holy Spirit, well, then it's God. So that'll be capitalized, right? Holy Spirit be capitalized. But in other times, it's just Spirit, and the translators had to discern whether or not it was referring to uh, the Holy Spirit or to your spirit. And so if it's the Holy Spirit, although it just says spirit, then the translators had to decide, well, based on the context, we think it's this. But, you know, they didn't always get it right. That, that doesn't mean that the word of God is wrong. That means that the translators didn't get the revelation of what the word is saying. And so if you go to Galatians chapter 5, where it talks about the fruit of the spirit, that word spirit there in Galatians chapter 5 is capitalized. And the implication is that the fruit is, comes from the Holy Spirit. But Jesus said in John chapter 15 that, that we are the vine, or that he is the vine, and we are the branches. So where does the fruit, where, where is fruit produced? On the trunk of the tree or on the branches of the tree? Fruit's produced on the branches of the tree. So if fruit is produced on the branches, then, then the branches are the one that produces the fruit, right? The trunk produces the, the nutrients, the water, the, the, the stuff from the soil, delivers that to the branches that will then produce the fruit. So... Uh, if it's fruit of the Spirit, then if it's fruit, then it has to come from the branches, and that would be us. So that, that where it says fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, capitalized S as implying the, the Holy Spirit, it should be lowercase s referring to your spirit because you're the one who produces fruit, right? The Holy Spirit, he is the fruit, right? And so uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't produce fruit in that regard. So he produces fruit through us. So, so there's a lot of things like that, you know, and, and that was no uh, significant error, but, you know, as a, as a student of the word, we should always be looking at everything and studying it, right? Because Paul told Timothy, study to show yourself approved unto God. So we don't just read it and go, oh, well, yeah, that's what it says. We read it and then we study it, right? What does this mean? Why does it say this? And, uh, and so <clears throat> all of that, you know, uh, doesn't really have anything to do with, with uh, where we're at right now, but that's all right. So, uh, so we kind of finished up chapter two. We talked uh, about that those really those last four verses about Epaphroditus being sick and that how he had exerted himself beyond reason uh, to uh, provide uh, Paul the service of things that, need, that uh, he believed needed to get done. Uh, and when I look at it, if you have to work to the point that you, that you nearly kill yourself, well, first of all, you know, I'm of the opinion that anything that you're called to do, whatever you're called to do, if you're called to be you know, a truck driver, then the supernatural grace of God is there to be a truck driver. And if you're called to be a door sweeper, then, then you know, then, uh, then that's the grace to do that. The power of God to do that call is there, right? If you're, if you're called to be an instructor, if you're called to be a, an airplane uh, pilot, if you're called to be a minister, whatever you're called to do, the grace of God is there to, to help you and to assist you to do that job. He will give you the strength the intelligence, the ability, the talent to do that particular job. Uh, and so if, uh, if this work really needed to get done by the Spirit of God, if it was the will of God for this to get done, then the grace of God should have been there to do it if it was the will of God for him to do it. And so the problem with the, with the grace of God, it's only aligned with the will of God. And so if you're out of the will of God, then there's no grace. You may be in mercy, right? We talked a little bit about that. When you get into sin, you're into mercy, not into grace. Well, mercy is not there to assist you to do the will of God because you're literally out of the will of God. Mercy is there to keep you alive long enough to get back into the will of God. Uh, and so, so clearly Epaphroditus got to a point where he could not depend upon the grace of God because if the grace of God is there, you can do supernatural things, right? Even from a physical strength standpoint, you can uh, exert yourself 
And if you got a, you know, remember uh, uh, Joshua, uh, when they were fighting the enemy, the sun stayed up for, an, for 24 hours straight. Well, you know, uh, most people, they couldn't hardly stand up, stay awake for 24 hours. Could they commit warfare for a solid 24 hours, slinging an axe and, or, or a sword or in the shields and, and fighting for, you know, 24 hours, you know, all the way through, right? So we're not just, you know, knitting, you know, uh, uh, a sweater or something. We're exerting significant physical energy for 24 hours. I mean, that's, you know, how do you do that except by the grace of God? How did Elijah outrun the chariot when he saw the rain was to come? He did that by the grace of God. How, do, how was Jesus able to live long enough have to, after having been beaten all night long? How was he able to stay alive long enough to go to the cross to complete the work of the cross? Without, I mean, he could have died in, in the courthouse, right? And yet the book of Hebrews said that he tasted death by grace. So, so the grace of God was with Jesus to, to fulfill the... the and, and so they couldn't have killed him. There's no way they could have killed him prematurely. He, w- he was going to uh, make it to the cross, right? Now, of course, he was pretty weak and weak enough where they had to conscript somebody to assist him to take the cross up to the hill there. But he was still alive. Amen? Uh, and so, so I, from my perspective, the grace of God is always there to accomplish whatever the will of God has for you to do. And, and, and to me, that's, that's simple. If it's the will of God, doesn't matter what the work is. Doesn't matter how long it takes. Doesn't matter how hard it is. If you're in the will of God, the grace is there. Uh, now, a lot of times people will look at the work and say, that's too hard. But there's no faith in that statement because that, that's measuring the will of God by the natural circumstances. I, that clearly can't be the, word of, the will of God because it's too hard. It's more than one man can do. But... You know, we get into a lot of trouble, especially, you know, in the charismatic Pentecostal world. You know, we spend a lot of time talking about being led by the Spirit, right? We should be led by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God lives in us. He said he would lead you into all truth, guide you into all truth, show you things to come. So we should be doing things by the will of God, by the direction of the Holy Spirit. If he tells you to do that, then you do that. It's not about whether it's too hard or too easy or or it's below you or above you or it doesn't matter. It matters what's the will of God. What does he want you to do? And, and you know, when, when um, Lester Summerall, he, he was uh, 80 years old, and the Lord said, I want you to go buy a boat and, and start feeding the children around the world. 80, that's when he told them to do it, 80 years old. Not when he was 60 years old or 50 years old. When he was 80 years old, the Lord said, now you go start doing that. And he said, well, Lord, get some of these younger guys to do this. I'm 80 years old. You know, why, why do you want me to do that? He said, I want you to do it because I can trust you. And so the grace to do that, even though he's 80 years old, was there to do that. And, and it became a, a big thing um, in his ministry, a large aspect of his ministry of feeding the children around the world uh, with this big boat that he had. So he had to fill the boat with food and go drive it around the world and, and feed children. Uh, and so, but a lot of people look at that, Lord, I, I'm too old to start that. And so what they're saying is, Lord, you're wrong. You're, you are not correct in asking me to do this. I know more than you do. Uh, you need to find somebody else. Well, how many times do we do that? How many times do we do that in our day-to-day lives, right? Where we look at the work and we say, well, I can't do that because I've looked at the work. And you're always going to get yourself in trouble if you make any decision based upon natural measurements. Uh, and yet uh, we do that all the time in the church. Even as us super faith people, right, we'll say things like, well, you know, I wanted to get that job, but I didn't get it. So therefore, it must not have been God's will for me to get that job. So what are we basing the will of God upon? The natural event of whether we got the job or not. Not on whether the Spirit of God told us that that job was ours, but whether we looked at the natural world and we measured the will of God by what we could observe in the natural realm. But even in the spiritual world, we we do the same thing. Well, you know, the devil starts attacking us. And, you know, something happens, we get sick or, you know, we get a lot of mean people saying bad things about us. And so we say something like super spiritual, like God must be getting ready to do something because look what the devil's doing. You ever heard that? That was really acting up. So God must be getting ready to do something. So now we're not measuring the will of God by natural things. We're measuring the will of God by the devil. Well, that's got to be worse than measuring the will of God by natural things, right? We're looking at the devil and say, we have no idea what God's going to do, but the devil's telling us that God's going to be doing this over here. 
Is that, is that even intelligent to do that? How many have heard people say that? In our circles, right? In our circles, you know, us faith, super faith people, right? God must be getting ready to do something big because look at all this. I remember one time we were, I was at church and there was this, you know, sometimes just flesh rises up in church, right? I'm some, sometimes people just get mad at each other, you know, and I was with my pastor at his church and just, it was just, just a season of just like just conflict all the time, conflict all the time. People mad at it. And someone said, God must be ready to get and do something because just look how much the devil is acting up. And, you know, and of course, uh, they probably got offended at me when I said, but I said, you know, it could just be flesh. You know, because when flesh acts up, it looks just like the same thing when the devil's trying to hinder the move of God, right? The devil's moving over here, getting flesh to rise up. The devil's moving over here, trying to hinder the work of God. So which one is it? Which one is the will of God? Well, we don't ever say that the will of God is, it must be so-and-so based upon what I observe the devil to be doing. And you should never say that based on this natural event, it must not have been God's will. Well, why don't you know whether it's God's will or not? Doesn't he live on the inside of you? So, so this, is, this is, I think, where Epaphroditus got, got an error was he looked at the natural work that had to get done and said, it must be God's will for me to do it because they're not doing it, so I must be the one to do it and nearly killed himself, right? Yeah. And so, well, it has to get done. Does it have to get done? What if it doesn't get done? Does anybody die if the peanut butter and jelly sandwich doesn't get made? You know, I don't know what he was doing. He doesn't say the specifics of what he was doing, but I think that's where he got, he got an error that, you know, he, you know, some people get in pride. I'll do it. You know, I'm the man. I'll do it. You know, well, you know, don't be the man unless it's the will of God. Then you can be the man, right? But uh, you can't just look at something and say, if, if nobody else is doing it, I'm going to do it. You know, I mean, that's, that's, that's commendable in, in some regards, right? And, you know, for a small thing, it's not a big deal, right? If it's like, you know, who's going to take out the garbage? Well, the Lord hasn't appeared to me, so I'm not taking it out. You know, that, that you're not going to die taking it out or not taking it out. That's not, you know, I'm not talking about the small thing. I'm talking about he, he risked his life, nearly ended his life because of the amount of work that was be done, right? So day-to-day, you know, things, you know, we're all servants. We just do the work, right? Fine. But in a situation like this, where it was more work than he could humanly do, clearly it was more work than he could humanly do, he still took it on and tried to do it and nearly killed himself. And the Lord had mercy, right? So sometimes we're dumb and we do things and we get out on the, in the mercy of God and, and uh, he will extend that mercy, keep us alive long enough to get back in his will. So, so just find that balance there, right? Um, you know, if it just worked, it just, hey, somebody's going to take out the garbage, just do it, right? Just you go on. But if it's something that, you know, hey, I need somebody... Uh, for the rest of your life to be a door greeter. Well, you know, Lord, I really feel called to work in the children's church, you know. And uh, if I do that the rest of my life, I may not get to work in children's church, right? So, I mean, you know, you got to find that out. Of course, some people, you know, are of the opinion that, well, I'm called to be the pastor, so until I'm the pastor, I'm not doing anything, right? So, so what's the balance? The balance is find the Spirit of God, Amen. Generally speaking, the, the way I've always operated my whole Christian walk, whether, uh, you know, long before I was a pastor, if there was work to be done and I could do it, and, and if it wasn't, you know, if it's just a one-time thing, I wouldn't even think about it, I'd just do it. If it was something that required a bigger commitment, like I've got to do this every Tuesday, I had to look and see, well, Lord, is this something that you want me to do, right? So it depends, it depends on the situation. You've got to, you know, what kind of a commitment is required to do that? How much commitment is there to take out the garbage? It's like, like three minutes, right? I mean, me and Jared, you know, it, we, we really, we, we're usually in prayer and intercession before we take it out because, well, Lord, we need to know if it's your will to take out the garbage right now because we're, we're pretty sure it's not. You know, we think it's your will to take it out three days from now. Now, Chris is of the difference opinion, right? She, uh, she's in greater intercession than we are. But, uh, and so, uh, but, um, so the, and to go back to what we mentioned a little, there's, is there any law? No law. So just be careful about those things, right? Uh, just be, uh, find the path. Uh, always strive to be a servant. Uh, but, if it's, but if it's something that really requires a significant um, investment of your time and energy, you need to find out, is that the will of God, right? Don't just go do that because it needs to get done. Uh, but, um, uh, but I, you know, I work with um, some people before, with, again, when I was my pastor, and we had, uh, we had a committee, right? Not a big fan of committees, but... Um, there's a lot, of, a lot of carnality goes on in committees for whatever reason. I don't know why it is, but, you know, there's a lot of carnality, right? And I, I'm not, I don't have a problem with having them if we need them, but 
Anyway, we had this one, and we called it the, I think it was a pastor appreciation committee, something like that. And basically, we would get together, and, you know, how can we help the pastor out, right? And so this one lady, she, she was great at coming up with ideas. Well, let's do this, right? Let's go, you know, let's go paint his house, his entire house, right? Wow, that's okay, you know. Uh, well, when do you want to start? And, and she made this comment. She said, well, I don't want to do any of these things. I just want to come up with the ideas and have someone else do them. So she loved to sit down and basically do nothing except for talk and never wanted to do anything. Well, you know, to me, that's a little bit of a problem, right? I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, if you're in charge, okay, fine, you can delegate, right? Chris delegates all the time at work. Sometimes she forgets she's at home and starts delegating at home, right? You right there, you right there, you know? And sometimes we have to go, uh, we're all in the same family here, you know, <laughs> and so, uh, and, and so, um, she's like, yeah, right, you're right, um, but, um, but, you know, to me, that's not really a servant's attitude of, of, let's find work for everybody else to do but me, right, because she could have said, hey, if we, if the whole church gets together, we could paint it all in one day, right, and I'll, I'll, I'll be first, I'll go paint for an hour, and then someone else, well, fine, okay, right, but she'd never want to do, no, I mean, literally nothing, right, and so, uh, you ever had people like that you're working with? Right. Uh, and um, I, I think I told you about when I was in high school, I, I was in this worked in the shoe department at Walmart. So lots of shoes. Right. And, and um, it's a good job because you learn how to not hate people because, I mean, people just come in and just sling shoes everywhere. And this one doesn't fit. And they just, you know, and just and, and just at the end of the day, you had to put it all back together. Right. And so we had to put a thousand shoes back in there. And they had a vacuum. I said, like, where'd all this stuff come from? And people like eating, you know, potato chips or something in the shoe department, whatever. But it's just, a, I mean, it would look like a war zone every day. Every single day is like a war zone. Uh, and so, uh, so it was me and this, this, other, this other girl. Uh, and, you know, I'm a senior in high school. She's probably a senior in high school, something like that. Uh, and and um, when, when the boss left, her mind left too. She'd do nothing, right? I mean, she uh, yeah, I'm vacuuming the entire department, you know, putting all the shoes together. And she's really, and, and this was before cell phones, right? So she's not like she's on a cell phone. I, she's counting ceiling tiles or she just would disappear for a while. And, and, and I mean, just long enough to get everything done and then she'd clock out. And so everything, this went on for like forever, right? I don't know how long it went on, but uh, so I thought, well, I'm going to just do what she does. So at the end of the day, I did nothing. I mean, literally did nothing. Uh, and, uh, and then I left when it's the clock time leaving the clock. So we get back and, uh, the next day, now that, now my, my manager was the department manager, but then the store manager, you know, he walked by and saw the tornado that had happened in the shoe department, which was every day, right? It wasn't like a unique thing. It was every day, but he noticed nobody cleaned it up and he took pictures, right? With a Polaroid camera. This is before digital, you know, Polaroid camera, you know, man, you know, they flip the thing. Actually, you don't have to do that anymore, but, uh, had to, had to, you know, the Polaroids were exposed and everything and showed him, you know, and uh, she, said, she called me in her office. She said, I shouldn't fire you. And I just kind of laughed. I said, I'm just doing what, what the, the other girl does. Yeah, I fired her. Uh, she said, I should fire you, but you're too good of a worker. I said, well, I'm just trying to make a point, you know, because uh, she's not carrying her weight, you know. I'm not saying that's the appropriate, I was, you know, I was 18 and, and stupid, you know, I'm not saying that was necessarily the appropriate thing to do, although I, I kind of think I would probably do the same thing again today, just sometimes make a point, right, that, hey, they're not carrying their weight, right, they literally did nothing, and, and so that's between you and the Lord, if, if, if the Lord gives you the grace to do that, fine, do it, if not, you know, got to do it anyway, right, got to do the work, so, so find the balance, amen, find the will of God, the will of God, the most important thing you can do in your life, what's the will of God for your life, that's the most important thing, above everything else, What's the will of God? Amen. If he says to do it, you do it. If he says don't do it, then you don't do it. Amen. If it's not even worth the trouble of asking the Lord, just do it. Amen. So that's, that's the balance in there. Epaphroditus got out of, out of the will of God. He had to uh, have mercy extended to him. And where is the Lord merciful? He is. Did Epaphroditus live? He did live, right? And so uh, it's, uh, you're going to have to find that path for yourself. Amen. One thing I, I can tell you, if, if you'll always have a servant's heart, see, you're serving the Lord. So if you're always serving the Lord, he'll show you what to do, right? If you're serving man, you're going to get out of the will of God really quick, amen? So always serve the Lord, and you'll be fine, amen? And so then he gets to chapter 3 uh, in verse 1 there, and he says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but to, for you it is safe. So how many chapters are there in Philippians? 
Anybody know? <laughs> There's four, right? <laughs> that wasn't really a trick question, right? It, it, uh, uh, and so... Uh, there's four questions, four chapters. What, uh, so we finished two chapters, right? So he's, he's halfway done. He says, finally. So that means he's still got halfway to go. Uh, and so uh, I thought, well, that's pretty good. Then I could like, start about 8 o'clock and say, well, finally. And then I got another whole hour I can preach, right? And so, you know, uh, that's what Paul did. So he, he, he was only halfway done. He said, finally there. Uh, but uh, chapter 3, and of course we know uh, was, was the book of Philippians written in book, chapter, and verse. There was no book, chapters, and verse, right? There was no, uh, there was no uh, chapter numbers. There was no verse numbers. In fact, the original Greek, there's, no, there's actually not any punctuation. In fact, in, in some of the original Greek manuscripts, there's no spaces. It's just like one continuous collection of, of Greek letters, and you had to read, and I guess you got used to reading it to this point and picking out words, but uh, it was tough back then, right? Uh, and so over, year, over the years, People have divided these things into words that would make sense. Uh, and, uh, and so all the punctuation that you see in the Word of God is completely added, right? It was never in the original language, which help, will help you because there's a lot of things. If you put a comma over here versus over here, the whole meaning of a, of a verse can change, right? And there's lots of verses that I've read. If you just put, put the comma in a different place, it changes the whole meaning of it, amen? Uh, and so, so just know that as you're studying the Word of God, you know, if you get really hung up on this, well, this, this period ends, it ends a complete thought, which is the definition of a period, right? It's there to, complete, uh, uh, to end a complete thought. But somebody added that, you know, it wasn't Paul's. And so sometimes you'll find, you know, where a chapter, you know, like this one is a pretty good uh, break of a chapter. Finally, brethren, okay, so he's changing subjects, time to start a new chapter, it's fine. But sometimes it, the thought should continue right through from one chapter to the next, and that chapter is an arbitrary uh, break in the, in the continuous thought there. So what I found that's helpful for me is a lot of times I'll just read the book all the way through and not read it, not just read one chapter, but just read the whole thing all the way. I mean, Philippians four chapters, right? So you can read that in probably 15, 20 minutes. Uh, you can just read the whole book all the way through and, and you, stop, you start to see the concepts as opposed to the chapters and verses. Uh, and it's a good way to study the word of God. And so a lot of my studying is I'll just read the whole thing all the way through uh, or at least large portions of it all the way through, and then that way I have a better sense of the, the continuity of the thought there. Um, so Paul uh, is saying, finally here, he's changing the subject, uh, and he says, rejoice in the Lord. And it's not the, not, the, not the last time he tells the Philippians to rejoice, right? Uh, but, um, uh, you know, rejoice uh, is something really that only the church can do, right? Because it rejoice in the Lord. So can the world rejoice in the Lord? No, the world does not have the capacity to rejoice in the Lord. Uh, and so uh, this is something that's unique to the church, right? Uh, and, um, you know, the, the church as a whole really could learn to rejoice more, right? We, learned, we could learn to be, to, you know, joy is an outward expression, right? It's an outward expression of what's going on the, on the inside of you. And so when we don't, when we don't have the capacity to rejoice and to, to have joy in our lives, the issue is really not so much that, a lot of times we think that the only way I can have joy is if the natural circumstances around me change. But that's not rejoicing. That's not joy, right? That, that's, that's just happiness, right? That's emotional happiness. Because emotional happiness is based upon the circumstances, the situations you're living in your life. But rejoicing and joy is based upon what's going on on the inside of you. What, what hope do you have on the inside of you, right? Uh, and so uh, do you have that joy on the inside of you? So the, to rejoice, you know, you're expressing that which is on the inside of you. Uh, and, and, of course, we know that joy itself, to rejoice means to, to take joy, right? Uh, to rejoice, um, uh, to have joy, it's a fruit of the Spirit, right? Galatians chapter 5 says that, and the fruit of the Spirit is love. What's the second one? Joy, joy right? So joy is the second fruit of the Spirit. The, the first and most important one, of course, is love. But the joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Uh, and so... Uh, you know, this is an area that, uh, that the, I, you know, the church as a whole, I believe, struggles with this. You know, it's not that, it's not that you know, I mean, I was going to say everybody has a bad day every now and then, but that's kind of a bad confession, right? Because then, then it turns into everybody has a bad day every day, right? Uh, and the, if you're breathing air in this life, everybody in here breathing air? Yes. So you're all qualified for this, right? 
So if you're breathing air in this life, then there's just things to deal with, right? There's life to deal with, people to deal with, events and circumstances, situations, the weather, your car, whatever, right? There's just things to deal with. Uh, and uh, as a whole, the church should be a people that's full of joy, yeah. that we have the capacity to be joyful in whatever circumstance we're in. Because our joy is not based upon what we observe. And, and much of the time, we've, we're so focused in the natural realm that, that we define how happy we are and how much joy we have based on what things we can see and observe and how people are acting and how the weather's acting and how the dog is acting. And that doesn't mean that you have to enjoy, you know, when a, when a dog eats the carpet or something like that. You know, you don't have to be glad about that. But it doesn't have to just ruin your entire day. I mean, you can still rejoice and go, wow, look at that. That's amazing, you know. Uh, look how look how efficient he was at tearing up that carpet, right? Uh, are we thankful that those things happen? No, we don't have to be thankful. You know, we're never thankful for sin. We're not thankful for when the devil is operating. We're not thankful for that. But in the midst of those things, we can rejoice. Uh, and really, uh, let's turn back to John chapter 15. You know, if we could if we could learn this, and this seems to be a really hard thing for the church to learn. I don't know why why it is a hard thing for the church to learn, but I, I believe that the issue is the root the root cause of why it's hard for the church to be a church that rejoices is because we're so fixated on the things we see in the natural realm that our life is defined by this world right here. And that is that it's the wrong approach and the attitude we should have as a church is our, is our life should not be defined by the circumstances and the situations that we're living in. Uh, you know, there are times and seasons when it just seems like, Lord, there's just more than I can humanly do, right? But... You know, you look around, Lord, am I in your will? Am I doing what you want me to do? Is there anything you don't want me to do? And then you say, well, Lord, I mean, it seems like I'm right where I'm supposed to be. So then we have to have the, the grace, the, you know, obtain the grace to do that, amen? And, the, the, you know, it, it doesn't hurt to review your life on a regular basis. Lord, am I doing what you want me to do? In fact, you know, I know for me personally, there's, you know, a few more things I got to get off my plate, right? I got to just stop doing that. You know, I was a professor for a while, and, uh, you know, I loved it. I love teaching, right? I mean, I, that's who I am. But, you know, times and seasons. Did it for a while, and then, Lord, this has this, this already come to an end. It was, and came to an end quicker than I thought it would. But uh, I'm fine with it, right? Moving on, right? And doing other things. But there, even right now where I'm at in my life, there are other things that, Lord, you know, you got to, this is, needs to come to an end. But it won't come to an end, just natural things, right, that I'm doing. Uh, but, you know, I've got, made commitments, so I've got to see those commitments through, but when those commits, commitments come to an end, then things will change, right? And so, and that's normal. That's a normal part of our life. Um, and so between now and then, I have to live in the grace of God. Well, Lord, you know, we're going to get there. Uh, but between now and then, you know, uh, we need grace to get there. So, but here we are in John chapter 15. Uh, and, and Jesus said, of course, we know this verse. By law, as a charismatic Christian, you're required to know this, right? If you abide in me, my words abide in you. You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Is that a true saying? Yes. Is that verse true? Is, that, is, it, is the verse 100% true? Ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Uh, that is a true saying, right? So, so, does, so that means I can ask what I want to and it'll be done unto me? Well, you just repeated exactly what it said. So you, you, uh, it, that can't be so. It is so. Uh, is there any limits to it? Well, the limits of any verse is the limits of the whole counsel of God, right? And so is there, uh, is there anything else in the counsel of God is, that would say there's a limit to this verse? Well, there are other verses that say you ask amiss or in, James, in, in James chapter 4. Well, I'll just turn over there. We'll give you the reference to it, and we'll come back to John chapter 15. Over in James, we'll see if it's in chapter 4. I think it's in chapter 4. Over in James, it says in chapter 4, uh, it says uh, in verse 2, You lust and have not, you kill and desire to have and cannot obtain, you fight and war, you, you have not because you ask not. Well, that end of that verse right there goes right along with John 15, 7, right? So one reason why you wouldn't get John 15, 7 is because you're not asking. Does that make sense? Uh, and how many people do without because they never ask? Well, I'm starving. Have you asked the Lord to provide food for you? Well, no. Well, I mean, well, then what's he... Well, I figured if he wanted me to have food, he would give it to me. Well, you reckon he knows you have need of food? Is it ever a surprise when you ask the Lord something? He goes, wow, you want, you really, I didn't know you wanted that. You know, you, I didn't know you needed that. Did you need that? I didn't know you needed a car, you needed a job, you know? Is it, ever, ever, is it ever new information to the Lord when you ask him for something? 
No. So he already knows you need that, right? Or, or and it does, is it only limited to needs? You don't ask what you need. Well, you only need bread and water and air to survive, right? Do you need, do you actually need a car? I mean, you could literally get by with a bicycle, right? Do you need a car? Oh, no, I guess not. Well, you don't really need a bicycle. I mean, did Jesus have a bicycle? He didn't have one. Of course, he only traveled, you know, so far his entire life, right? Uh, and, and so what about shoes? You absolutely have to have shoes. You don't really have to have shoes. I mean, you can get by without shoes, you know. You, you know, I mean, you can get by with sandals. You know, you don't need all that, all that extra leather around that heel. I mean, what a waste of money, right? So people, you know, people always love to, love to have these, these theoreticals. Well, you know, you don't need that. Well, what do you need? What could you get by without in your life? Do you really need a house? You don't really, I mean, you can live in a tent. You can live under the stars, right? Most of the time, right? If it rains, you go under a tree. I mean, you know, so, you know, pe- people come up with these hypotheticals. Well, you don't need that. You're being selfish. Well, what's the limit, right? And, and see, doubt and unbelief will never withstand any scrutiny because if you say, well, well where's, the, where's that line? right? You can't, you can't just ask for whatever you want to. And you literally said, ask for what you want to. Didn't he say that? Yeah. Ask what you want to. Uh, and so you can't just do that. Well, he said you could do that. He said, and, and uh, what's the answer in John 15, 7? Ask what you will and what? Shall be done unto you. Anybody ever heard? Well, you know, when you ask, you know, sometimes the Lord says yes, and sometimes he says no. You ever heard that one? Doesn't it sound great? That's the book of hesitations right there, right? That's not any book. There's no Bible for that. I mean, there's literally no Bible for that. There's no, nowhere in the Bible that it says no, right? The answer is no. Uh, and so, but John, uh, back to James chapter 4, you have not because you ask not. He says in verse 3, you ask not, you ask and receive not. So you can't ask and receive not. Well, why, why are you receiving not? He said that you make, cons- uh, he said, uh, you receive not because you ask amiss or ask incorrectly that you may consume it upon your own lusts. So, so there is a limit to John 15, 7, but the limit is on our side, not on God's side, right? So what's the limit? Well, if you're just being, you know, if you got all these, in a, in a lust is, is a desire that's beyond where it should be, right? Because, I mean, a lust and sin is just a desire, right? But in the context of this verse, it's a desire that you ought not have, right? So, so well, who, who's, who's the judge of whether that's a, a correct desire or not? Am I the judge of that? Because some people say, you can't ask for a new car. Well, why not? You know, I've got six kids. I've got to go to work and three schools. You know, I mean, I could start walking my kids to school, but by the time I get all three kids to school, I've got to turn right back around and go pick all three kids back up, right? I mean, you know... You, if they, I know at one time we had three kids in different schools in the county, and it was like a, a, a military operation every day. Where, where are you going to be? Well, I'm going to be here. Oh, you, you got a meeting right there. Okay, well, I'll go, I'll go pick up this kid and this kid, and you can pick up that kid, right? Well, that kid's got to go to soccer. Okay, well, and, you know, well, then don't, ha- don't, you know, one answer is, well, don't let the kids do anything. Well, then don't let them go to school. Uh, you know, it's just uh, you find out what works for you. You know, I don't have a problem with, with uh, whatever you do as a parent. That's up to you, right, within, within the Word of God, of course. But if you're, uh, but the decider of whether that desire is incorrect or not is not other people. It's it's the spirit of God, or the word of God, right? Number one, it's always the word of God. Can you ask for anything that's definite uh, violation of the word of God? Lord, I want my neighbor's wife. That's always a good one, right? Is there anything in the Bible that would say that's wrong? Well, you could probably find a dozen Bible verses that said you can't have your neighbor's wife, right? Uh, unless you are your neighbor, right? But um, but uh, that's a clear violation, right? Um, but what about, you know, Lord, I, I would like a car. Okay. And, and I hear people say, well, you can't have too nice of a car. Mm-hmm. Well, then, then okay, that, that's, when, that's when you start attacking doubt and unbelief. Well, what's the limit? Uh, what about a, a $2 car? Is that okay? Yeah, that's fine. A $2 car is fine. What about a $200,000 car? No, that, that's excessive. You can't have that. So it's somewhere between $2 and $200,000, right? All right, what about 100000 No, that's too much. Why not? Well, that's, that's above the average salary of the United States. Okay, so what about a $30,000 car? Yeah, that's probably okay. But a $31,000 car is no, no, too much. Well, who, who, why are you the decider of that? What about $30,001? Where's the number? Is there, is there a number? Is there a number that I can define for you? That's the question, right? It's not about is there a number. The number is can I define that for you? No, you can't have that car. It's too nice. 
you know, I, I was talking with someone just, just today, or just yesterday, just, yeah, just yesterday. Pastor makes too much money. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm, he's telling me I'm a pastor, right? Makes too much money. And I'm thinking, what's the number? You know, is there a number? I mean, could it be too much? I mean, it could be too much, right? I mean, if the church makes $100,000 a year and the pastor's salary is $100,001, well, that'd be kind of hard for a church to do that, right? I mean, it'd be, it constrained, the, you know, the church would go in the hole every day, every year, right? And of course, there's no money for electricity, whatever. But what's the number? Is there a number? I mean, there's a, there is a, a number that, that is wise, right? If a church makes $100,000 a year, I mean, you've got to have electricity and, and you know, you've got to, I mean, there's stuff, right? Things that the church needs, right? We've got to buy all kinds of stuff for, for the nursery and for the children's church and for food and, you know, just, you know, just things, right? And so uh, we help people out all the time with different things. Uh, and so uh, what's the number? I don't know what the number is. You know, we always, you know, kind of, uh, well, I'm not going to tell you what the number is because people might get mad about that, you know, but, uh, but he said they make too much money. I think, what's, and I've had people tell me I left the church because the pastor makes too much money. I said, well, what's the number? And, and that person who left the church said, well, the pastor should not make any more money than the poorest person in church. <laughs> well, the problem with that mentality is Jesus literally said, you'll always have the poor with you. So you're stuck because my, my desire is to teach all of us how to develop in faith and increase in their finances, but it's a losing battle because as soon as somebody else walks in, I've got to start back over. I'm like, okay, I've got everybody up. I've ever got everybody a $20 raise, Praise God, I get to have a $20 raise, and then a poor person walks in. It's like, man, you know, could you not come in? Come in next week, right? Uh, now, now we don't want the poor people to come in because it limits my salary, uh, which is kind of dumb, right? But, so what's the number? There's no number, right? So, but, but James says you can't ask amiss if you, if you want to consume everything upon your own lust. And, and I remember when we first got married, we were talking about, you know, do you want to buy this, buy that, you know? Because you get married, you want to buy everything, right? Uh, and, and so... Um, you know, we made a decision. We're not going to live, especially above our means, but we're not even going to live at our means because if we live right at our means, if, if we make $100 a week and we have $100 a week, uh, if we have $100 a week that is committed, right? I got my cable bill, my phone bill, my, you know, my gas bill, my, you know, whatever, whatever, this, 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 and I make $100 a week, I got $100 committed, now, if the Lord says, hey, I need you to give an extra dollar in the offering, you're like, oh, Lord, there's no way. Have you seen my bills, Lord? Uh, there's no way. Uh, and, and, you know, when I was with my pastor, he would have me help people with their finances, you know, because the Lord's been kind enough to give me some wisdom in the area of finances and just about, you know, managing finance. I'm not a, I'm not a fan, financial expert in the sense of, well, what investment should I? I don't know. You know, what, what retirement plan should I? I don't know. Just ask the guys that know that, you know. But as far as just having enough money to live on, right, to pay your bills and do those things, and just the general wisdom of, of living with your finances, I was able to help a lot of people. And uh, first thing is, 100% of the time that people had financial problems, I never helped anybody who was a tither. Never had to ever help anybody who was a tither. Not a single time uh, in all those years. Uh, and so, uh, but all of them, you know, they all live way beyond the means. You know, they would have this and this. And I ask him, well, you can't pay your bills. Why do you have that thing? I have to have that thing. See, that's asking amiss. That's consuming upon your own lust. I want that, therefore I'm, I'm allowed to have that. Well, if your faith is there to have that, it's fine. But if your faith isn't there, you've succeeded your faith by, by these things. Uh, and so if, you're, if you don't have the faith for that thing, then don't get the thing. Uh, I mean, that, that to me, it's kind of like, well, we should have known that when we came out of the womb. I mean, after kindergarten, you know, okay, I, if you're kindergarten, you don't know, fine, we'll, we'll let you slide. First grade, if you don't know that by first grade, you got some problems, right? Uh, but, but uh, I mean, every single person that I, I dealt with in their finances, their issue, their problem was James chapter 4, verse 3, that they may consume it upon their own lusts. I want it, therefore I'm allowed to have it. The problem with that is I can't define for you what that number is or what that amount is or what that thing is. You've got to decide, Lord, am I buying this just because I want it? In fact, one, one couple I talked to, they were in finance, dire financial straits. And what they would do is they would get mad at each other, right? Well, first of all, don't get mad at them, right? But wife would get mad at husband, so what she would do to punish him, she'd go buy a dress. I'm going to punish him and buy a dress. 
okay, fine, you know. Well, he'd get mad at her, so to punish her, he'd go buy a brand new tool. That'll show her. How about a you know, power drill? That'll show her, you know. But, well, I mean, what was the brand? If it's a pretty good brand, it's okay, right? But um, no, so, what's, so they were doing it, they consume it upon their own lust, right? They, their desire wasn't even the, the tool of the dress. Their desire was to harm their spouse. And so there's this warfare, financial warfare. In that, it's like, you know, you've been married for a thousand years. You've got, I don't know, two, three kids. <laughs> you know, you got to grow up someday, right? I mean, why are you doing this? This is so childish, right? And you, you just, you just, you know, you, some people just, you know, you think, what's, did you, you, you go to the same church I go to. I've been going to the same church I've been going to for a, a decade. And have you learned nothing? Have you learned not a thing? You know, from, from all the, you know, I mean, we'd have three services a week just like here. 150 services a year for 10 years. That's 1,500 services you've heard, and you're still uh, buying a tool to punish your wife? I mean, you know, sometimes you just wonder about folks, right? Just, you know, well, see, that's a violation of James chapter 4, verse 3, right? I want, I want that, and I want it because it hurts my wife. You ask amiss, right? You ask with the wrong motive. If, you, if your motive is to, is to be in pride or to cause harm or to lord it over somebody, you've got the, your attitude is wrong. The reason why you're desiring this is wrong. Your desire itself is wrong. Okay, that's a violation of the word of God. So James 15, 7, James 15, 7 will not work. Ask what you will and shall be done unto you. But if, you're, if your heart's right, Lord, I, I would like a car. What kind of car? You know, Lord, is it too much to ask for leather? Because, you know, we've got kids and... You know, leather's great with kids. They can throw up on it and, you know, mess up on it and throw dirt on it and you wipe it off. No problem, right? You get the, you know, you get a cloth seat and, you know, they, they look at it wrong. It's got a stain on their seat, right? It's like, wow. No, I, I'm not, is, is it spiritual? Are you more spiritual if you have leather seats? I don't care if you have leather seats. You know, some people like cloth seats, right? They're, they're more comfortable. They're warmer, you know, in, in, in the, in the wintertime. And you, I don't care. You do whatever you want to, right? It's just whatever works for you. But, would it be wrong to ask for that? Would it be wrong to ask for leather seats? And what did, is there any book, chapter, and verse that said, thou shalt not ask for leather seats? You know, well, I don't believe in leather. You know, it's got to be, you know, uh, leatherette or something, whatever, you know. But um, so th- there's, there's no limit to John 15, 7, right? There's no limit uh, to that particular verse there, right? Uh, and so we've got to go back to John chapter 15 because, you know, we were on John 15, 7, but we've got to get past John 15, 7. So I love John 15, 7, because if I keep my heart right, what, what is the limit that I can ask from God for? No limit. As long as my heart's right, no limit. So what if I need like a second card? Like, oh, you got two cars. Well, you know, I mean, one's a work truck and one's a, a, a you know, that gets eight miles a gallon. One's a, you know, drive to Chattanooga car, you know, and I get, that gets 50 miles a gallon. And so, and who cares, right? I mean, you could drive around the eight, eight, mile a gallon truck all the time and believe God for the finances to pay for the gas, right? I mean, it doesn't matter. Uh, so don't put a limit, don't put an arbitrary limit on John 15, 7. People do it all the time. There's no limit. There's no arbitrary limit. The limit is what's your heart? What's your desire? If your desire is to be in pride or arrogance or harm or whatever, to lord it over somebody or ask something that's obviously a violation of the word of God, never going to work. Never going to work anyway. Because he said you ask amiss. So it never even gets to heaven, right? The, the request never makes it to heaven. So it's not even the Lord's telling you no, it's just he never heard it. And, and we could go over that to John chapter 5, and the, uh, yeah, uh, 1 John chapter 5, and look at that in more details if we want to. But, uh, but then he says uh, in verse 8, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So if you're asking for things and you get things, then your prayer is producing fruit, right? You're, whatever you're asking for, Lord. I, I would like to have a, an increase in salary so that, you know, I can send my kids to the right school. You know, whatever. And look, you don't have to have a, you don't have to justify everything to the Lord. Well, Lord, I, I need this for these three reasons right here. That doesn't impress the Lord. You could just say, Lord, I just want that. I, I, just, I just want that because, just because I want it, you know. I, I know um, when, my, when my kids were little, um, they were... Uh, they were jumping on the bed one time. You're like two years old, right? You know what two-year-olds do? They jump on the bed, right? You know, that's what they do, right? They jump on the bed. 
now, now, nowadays, if you jump on beds, like we got these one of these beds that don't make any move at all, they just dump and be like, there's no spring, right? There's, before they used to have springs in them, right? Now they don't have springs in them, it's all foam, right? They just jump and just stop, right? And so that'd be really boring now. But back then, they jumped into spring, you know, hit the ceiling, all that stuff. And so, so you, have to, you stop that. You stop jumping on bed. Uh, and later on, the Lord said, why'd you tell him to stop that? And I'm thinking, well, that's my job. My job is to tell them no, right? And that's your job as a parent, tell your kids no? It's no. What's the answer? No. And all my life, you know, I mean, uh, we, we, uh, I think I've told you that, uh, you know, I never spent the night with anybody, never had friends spend the night, you know. A lot of things I didn't do because the answer was just always no. Just always no. Uh, and, and most of the time, the answer was no before I even answered the question, right? Hey, Mom, can I? No. You don't even know what I'm going to ask. You know, can I have air? No. No air for you. Uh, and so... You just know, that's the way I grew up. So, you know, I, I just thought as a parent, my job is to tell them no. And so the Lord, the Lord asked me, he said, why'd you tell them no? And I'm kind of like, well, that, you know, I'm really thinking, you know, well, that's, my, that's my job, to tell them no. He said, how many times do I tell you no? What's John 15, 7 say? Ask what you will and I'll probably tell you no. Is that what it says? It doesn't say that at all, right? Ask what you will and what's the answer every single time? As long as your heart's right, what's the answer every single time? Answer is always yes, right? So if there's no if there's no no issue with that, then 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 the Lord will tell us never tell us no. So is it going to hurt anything for your kid to your two year old kid to jump on the bed? Well, I have to buy a new bed. Can't the Lord bless you to buy a new bed? So that's not an excuse, right? Well, they might get hurt. I mean, they're made out of rubber anyway when they're two years old, right? I mean. Uh, I mean, what's it? And it's on a king size bed, you know, jumping in the middle. I mean, that's just that's kind of a lame excuse, right? So, so I mean, I, I, could know, I could find no, no valid intellectual reason to tell them no, to jump on the bed. So, have at it. They jumped on the bed all the time. I mean, after that. Now, look, I never had my kids. No, I don't care. I don't, my kids are, now, if you're grandkids, by law, they're required to jump on the bed, right? But if you're regular kids, like, no, you ain't jumping on my bed. But the, the point of it was, the Lord, uh, the Lord changed my whole mentality about telling my kids no. So from that point on, uh, you could ask all three of them. I've got three kids. You could ask them, how many times did I ever tell them no? Nearly zero. I bet, it, I bet they couldn't, couldn't even hardly count on one hand. The number of times they asked for something, and, and I told them no. Uh, when Jared was real little, we'd go to, to the Lowe's, and Lowe's, you know, because they, they know uh, the kids, they'd put all these kid books this high, right? You walk in, I don't even see them. They're just invisible to me as an adult. But as a kid, they see it. They got hammers with them, screwdrivers with them. You know, you've seen these kid books, right, at Lowe's? I don't think they have any more. Well, we go in Lowe's, and Jared, stop. Hey, Dad, can I have that? Now, look, well, kids uh, want things and just never touch it. Sure, well, that's a waste, right? That's just waste being wasteful. And so I'd ask him, well, will you read it? He said, yeah, I'll read it. I'm like, okay, get it. I can't, there's, it wasn't because it was too expensive. Uh, you know, I had the money to buy it. So, now look, if you don't have the money to buy it, look, look, you know, at this point, it would not be good, wise for us to spend that much money on that thing, right? Fine, you know, okay. That's, that's fair, right? Uh, but, uh, but if their heart's right, seeing his heart was right, it's like, well, then I have, from my perspective, as the provider for my child, I had no reason to, no valid reason I could tell him no. So I had to tell him yes. Now, see, when I was growing up, the, the, the valid reason to tell him no was, you're bothering me. Don't ask, Right? And I've, I've heard ministers say, first thing I tell my kids when we go to Walmart, don't ask for anything. But see, the problem with that mentality is if you tell your kids, don't ever ask for anything, then what do you tell them when they become an adult? Continue to stop asking for anything. Continue to not ask God for anything. And so what, how many adults just don't ask God for anything? Why don't they ask God for anything? Because it was beat into them for 20 years, don't ask for anything. Don't, you know, it wasn't asking for anything that you would like or enjoy or, you know, that could be useful or just nothing, you know. You know, don't ask for any big things, right? Well, what's a big thing, right? I mean, you know, um, one time Jared asked for a trampoline. We bought a 15-foot trampoline and put it, in my, put it together in my garage. Why? Because he asked for it. Well, you know, uh, hey, look, you do, is there a law? I can't make your law. That's between you and the Lord Jesus, right? But, but see, uh, our prayers, our requesting things from God produces fruit, right? That, that prayer produced fruit. It produced the fruit of whatever I asked for. And, and Jesus said, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. 
so you shall you be denied. So the whole context of this is the fruit of, of answered prayer. So if, if you can, uh, and of course, the whole, the whole premise of this is uh, back to uh, Philippians, right? To rejoice, right? So we got just a, a minute more. He said, as the Father has loved me, verse 9, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you that, your, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Full, right? He wants your joy to be, if your joy is full, then how much capacity do you have to rejoice? A lot. If your joy is full, then you're just rejoicing all the time. Well, why, why do we have, as Christians, the capacity to rejoice all the time? Because our prayers are answered. If you knew that your prayers were always answered in the affirmative, was, is there ever a cause or a reason to not be full of joy? If you're dealing with a circumstance, and Lord, I need this circumstance fixed, and you knew the Lord would provide the answer to that circumstance to be fixed, then can't you have joy that, okay, I prayed, it's going to get fixed. I can rejoice in it. See, that, that's, we rejoice because when we use our faith and we request things of the Lord to fix a situation or to help a certain person or to obtain a certain thing, we know the answer is always yes. Always yes. If the answer is always yes, why are we ever under any uh, pressure? Why are we ever under any guilt or sadness or, or depression or anything like that? If we knew the answer was always yes every time we asked, but we still have to ask, could we rejoice all the time? Sure we could. And that's where the church misses it right there, is we're not sure if the Lord's going to answer us. And so we're under pressure that I may have to live with this the rest of my life. And, and you know, there are things that I've dealt with that have taken me years to deal with. Years. People, situations, circumstances. But I see the end goal. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it. I'm going to get it because I'm praying. And between now and then, I'm going to rejoice. I'm not going to get upset, sad. I don't have to like it and enjoy it you know, until it's perfect, but I'm seeing the end, so I can rejoice. Lord, you've got an answer. It may take him a year, especially if you're dealing with other people. It may take him 10 years to fix it because he has to fix this person and this person and this person before he can fix that person. But that's fine. Lord, however, it doesn't matter how long you're going to do it, Lord, because I've asked. And if I know, if I know when I ask for something, I'm going to get it, I should, I should be able to rejoice all the time. Now, look, you can't, you, again, ask amiss. You've got to be careful about asking them this. You can't, well, Lord, make them like me. That will never happen. I mean, there are people right now, I can guarantee you, they, they will tell you, if you ask them, I am the devil. Right now. I mean, and I'm the nicest guy you'll ever meet, right? Now, nobody ever thinks that about Chris, right? She, oh, she's always wonderful, right? How she ever ended up meeting you know, it's only heaven knows, right? But there are there people right now, if you ask, they would, they would oh, yeah, he is, he is the devil, not he, you know, He's bad. He's a, he is the devil, right? Uh, and so can I ever fix that person? Well, you know, it would, be, it would be out of the will of God for me to ask, Lord, change their heart. That's, you can't pray that prayer anyway. Lord, change their heart. You pray Ephesians chapter 1, right? Ephesians chapter 1 says, let their eyes of their understanding being enlightened. That's what you pray. Lord, let them see. Because most people, not everybody, but most people with a sincere heart, if they can see, they'll fix it. They'll change if they'll see that, you know, if they see their, 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 their own heart, if they see the error of their ways, they see what they're doing is wrong, I, you know, I, I, I would have confidence and believe that they'll change. So, I, that, so that's a biblical prayer. Lord, let them see. But Lord, change their heart. That's, that you can't, the Lord doesn't change our hearts. We change our hearts, yeah. right? We change our hearts in response to the Lord giving us revelation that our heart needs to be changed, amen? Yeah. And so be careful about, uh, and, and, if, and if you don't know, here, here and we'll go, um, if you don't know 100% that uh, your prayer is, is going to be the will of God, I always ask him first. You know, there's things that I've wanted to buy. I so, said, Lord, is it okay if I spend that much money on that thing? Or spend money on that thing? Is it okay if I spend that much money? And, and then if I, if I get the, the go-ahead, yeah, it's okay to spend money on that thing. Well, then, Lord, I, then I want that thing. Uh, you know, find that thing for me. Find the best version of that thing for me, whatever it is. Uh, one, once I know it's the will of God that I can do that thing, then, then I go on to the next step and believe God for the thing. So, and I'm not afraid of Lord telling me that it's not his will for me to have that, right? Lord, is it okay if I, you know, a lot of people all the times will, will just move to a different city 
to obtain another job and never asked the Lord and assume that because it's a raise or whatever that it's the will of God. But they don't know what kind of church is there. How many people do you know have left and went to another city and then, and then you know, just shriveled up spiritually? Because they went to a place where there's no church, no good church, right? And just spiritually just shriveled up, right? Before they were 100% involved in church, now they're, they're not involved in church at all. Is that a good thing? Is that, is that God's will that they don't even fellowship with his, his family and believers? I wouldn't think so, right? So we have the capacity to rejoice in the Lord because the Lord always says yes. That should cause us to rejoice every day, right? Lord, you're gonna, as soon as I ask you, the answer is yes. And, and if it's involved me, it'll happen pretty quick. If it's, if it's involving other people, it will happen eventually, right? Uh, and so therefore I can rejoice. And if we could really believe that, we can live in joy all the time. Amen. And that's that right there. I, I believe with all my heart that that's why most Christians or many Christians do not ever live in fullness of joy. Because Jesus said that your joy would be full. They don't believe the Lord's going to respond to them in a positive way every single time. It's 50-50. And it, and it really is. If it really is 50-50, then you've got 50% of your heart you've got to fix. If you fix that 50%, then it's 100%. Amen. And so let's, let's pray and thank the Lord for his word today. So, Father, we thank you for, for your word. And, Father, we thank you that we do have the ability to rejoice in you. Because your word says that uh, the fruit of us asking you for things, Father, the fruit of our prayers to you and the requests to you will give glory unto you. And, Father, if we always know that we have our prayers answered, then the joy of knowing that we have an answer coming our way can live in our hearts each and every day, Father. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that you are the God of yes. You said in your word, Father, that all the promises of God are in him, yes, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. We give you glory, Father, by obtaining the answers to our prayers. And because we can give you glory, Father, our joy can be full every day. And we thank you for that, Father. We give you the, the praise and the honor for it, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, praise God. Well, let's get ready to receive this evening's offering. You know, uh, in, in my heart, this is like, like a kind of a basic introduction kind of message. But this, this message would cause so many people to have heartburn, you know, aneurysms, headaches. You know, they get so mad because you teach on these particular things. And yet, did we make up any Bible verse at all? Did we show a balance that, yeah, there is a limit? You know, that we showed what the Word of God, where the, in the Word of God, there's a limit. Did we make up any new doctrine? Did we, did we, I mean, it's just the word, right? Just what the word says. And yet, people will, will fight you tooth and toenail about this. Amen. And come ahead, Mr. Jared, and receive the offering. And, and um, you know, I've had people tell me I'm preaching false hope. Well, you can't just ask what you want to. That's false hope. So I should preach no hope. Never get you know, 0% chance of God's. Well, it just doesn't make any sense, right? False hope. You know. I thought faith was the subject of things hoped for, right? Uh, but anyway, people like to come up with their own things, amen? Uh, and so uh, we'll pick this up again next Wednesday. And um, uh, in these next few verses, you know, Paul's shifting gears and starts talking about how important to obtain the Lord Jesus or Christ in our life is, right? And, and so that's this whole next section of, of Philippians chapter 3 there, so... Uh, be blessed. Uh, we don't have anything going on Saturday, right? So Sunday, uh, we'll be here. Um, and um, all is well, right? Well, have a wonderful week, Lord. We'll see you on Sunday.